You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 85 and 86 of our walk through the Bible in a year. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. And we are in the book of... We are in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verse 4, through chapter 23, verse 26. A lot to cover today, everything from the bronze serpent to Balaam and a talk, talking donkey. Woo! Yeah. That's what a, a teaser. Li- that's a teaser. So let's get right into it. Where we left off last was the first really military victory for the people in the wilderness. Well, the new Jenners, at least. Yes, yes, yes. The, the, old, the previous generation had some military victories, but these that's guys true. are fresh. That's true. They had victory over the strongest nation at the time, mm-hmm. Egypt, mm-hmm. and they saw that. And then a couple other ones, like when Moses had to right. keep his hands up. But anyways, they just, the new generation, have finally, they destroyed Arad with the help of God. And God's immediate reaction to this destruction is, all right, now I want you to go back to the Red Sea, yep. where you began. Yep, set out by way to the Red Sea and go around the land of Edom. And people became impatient and immediately started to grumble the way most of us would after so many years. Mm-hmm. We're going back to where we started, which is kind of emotionally what we are confronted with All so often. Yeah, when we deal with God and his word, it's like, okay, now let's go back to where we were. It feels like a, a big setback. Yeah, it's kind of devastating. And we complain, and we're like, no, we're going the wrong way, and that's what happens here. And so God says to, uh, well, actually, he just sends serpents. Yes. He says, all right, you guys aren't going to make it. And so people start dying, and they do, at this point, the next generation knows, we need to cry out to Moses. Yeah. We need to ask Moses to intercede for us. Mm -hmm. Um, they, They actually confess, which I don't know if the first generation did this a whole lot. But they actually confess and say, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And one of the things I was thinking is this was probably a natural protection of God because they're in the desert and poisonous snakes fill the desert. And so the fact that this hasn't happened to them already is kind of an amazing miracle. They've been protected from the wild animals and all that kind of stuff. And God just lifts it and says, all right, if you're not going to trust me now, again, you're not going to be able to make it. Then, yeah, are you going to do this with me or without me? What do you want? And so they confess. They're like, we need God. We need you to intercede. And so God tells Moses something that's always kind of baffled me, this story, was he says, create a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, mount it on a hill so everyone in the camp can see it. And anyone who's bitten by the serpent can look up to this bronze serpent, and when they look up, they'll be healed. Right. And that always was like kind of a source of confusion. As well, to like, what's going on there? What's well, happening? Well, Jesus references yeah. this event to Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, like the serpent, like the bronze serpent, I will be lifted up. Right. And so Jesus makes, not only says this story is real, mm-hmm. and it really happened, but it was a foreshadowing of me being lifted up. And so you start to think about, why snakes? Mm -hmm. And the first thought from being kind of steeped in the story here is the snake, they, the people of God still remember and are still talking about the Garden of Eden. Right. They're not that far removed. I mean, they got generations that 
um, have had the, the creation narrative passed down. And so snakes represent the death and separation of, of man, not only from God, but from the earth mm-hmm. and from the land of promise and Garden of Eden. And so... And it introduces death right. into and, the equation. And I think you maybe brought this up to me when we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. But the bronze serpent really is like, look to the death of death. Yes. And live. Yeah, so the idea of the bronze serpent that's hitting me is it's representing the death of the serpent, the death of a snake, right? the death that's killing you. So God has symbolically killed this death, put it, mounted it on a hill, and you look to that, the death of your death, Mm -hmm. and you recognize and believe that, that God has saved you from death, and you were saved. You were healed. The snakes would bite you, and you wouldn't die. And I do think it is kind of fantastic that even after Moses made the bronze serpent, set it on a pole, people were still getting bitten. Mm -hmm. And so it says, if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Yeah. Which is also kind of the reality we live in, that we are being bitten by sin all the time. Like we are being Mm -hmm. lured away to not trust God, to not look to him. And so we simply look to the cross Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and even though you're bit by sin and you're being accused of it, and you actually did it, you will be forgiven and you will be restored to life because death has been put to death yeah. by God so and now cool. by Jesus, his son. So that's the significance. And this mm-hmm. becomes, you know, it's a small little uh, nine, not even nine verses. It's like five verses or something. Mm-hmm. Fine. And that's it. And that's the, the, the story. But it's a huge event. But it's a big event, and Jesus sees it as um, a huge shift in the, the narrative for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's coming to put an end to death. And it's another way that God uses tangible, physical means mm-hmm. to give miraculous, spiritual, physical healings. Yeah, and that's hard, that's, that's hard to grasp that he would use like the burning bush to speak. He would mm-hmm. use the pole and the serpent. Aaron's staff. Or, yeah, he's yeah. using these things. Or that ultimately he would use bread and wine mm-hmm. or use water in baptism or use you and me talking about the word of God yeah. to create life in people. It's crazy. Where it's not us, it's the word of God using the simple means of our voices. So mm-hmm. pretty great. And then we get this little incident where, again, they're in the wilderness. Water is a constant problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, they end up finding a well, uh, which is probably a big deal for them in the wilderness, where it's just we just dug down a little bit and we found water. Like, yeah. it's kind of a big deal. And they end up creating a song about it, which is always pretty awesome. Well, they reference to this book of the wars of the Lord, which we don't have. We don't have. But best historical evidence suggests that um, they wrote songs about the military victories, mm-hmm. about the little victories they had. They had like a songbook. Yeah. And so it's referenced here in Numbers chapter 21. Um, spring up, oh well. But what I, what I connected to was that they're no longer in the depths of the desert. Mm-hmm. They're starting to get closer. There's like steps to um, lead them... Like it's a gradual into caring thing. for our land, and so the song even talks about like their scepters and their staffs. I, the idea I got was that there's water underneath the earth now. Mm-hmm. Like they're moving towards a place where there's actual water and life, yes. so they can dig a little bit and all have water. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's about the defeat of these other gods, and this is all preparing them 
for some battles as they get closer uh, to the promised land. And I was also thinking about how um, um, there's kind of two times in your life before you have a child, you know, you get pregnant and you got nine months mm-hmm. to prepare. Oh, yeah, yeah. You get nine months to prepare for this baby, change your diet, get the room ready. And then even after the baby's born, you have like a year where all you got to do is feed it mm-hmm. and change its diaper and kind of protect it. And these are all years leading up to having a real adult child, you know, yeah. a real child. But I was thinking the same thing. As my kids get older, my wife and I now have like more free time. Mm. Like we're able to kind of go out and spend time together. But the kids are still at home. We're not in the promised land yet where mm-hmm. the kids are totally gone. Right. But um, God always is kind of gradual in his leading you into seasons of life. And he never just, you know, it's very rare that he just shocks you and says, you're in. And so I thought that was... Um, a little bit of insight into how God's working with this next generation. Yeah. And then they are prepared, so they're getting some confidence about the protection and provision of God as they're getting ready and getting closer to the Jordan, which on the other side of the Jordan is going to be uh, the promised land. But they're so, um, God's people are so, they're, they're like kind of clueless and sweet. You know what I mean? Like, hey, like, they don't realize how they're viewed by the world. Yeah. So they don't recognize that the rest of the world sees this God hovering over them and a massive amount of people. Surviving and thriving in wilderness. They are seeing kind of like how Jesus is seen. Jesus is just healing people, mm-hmm. speaking with authority, being loving, and yet he's a huge threat. And you see the people of God saying, hey, can we pass by and we won't eat anything, we won't take anything, and all the kings are coming out their response to their request to pass by is war. Yeah. No, you are a huge threat to us. No. And so they tried it with Edom, mm-hmm. and they said no, and so they just left them alone because God's like, remember, they're part of you. Like, they're from Esau. Like, don't mess with them. Uh, go around them. Uh, they're kind of, like, going around Moab right now, which is from Lot. And again, it's kind of family. Right. And then they get to the Amorites, and the Amorites are from way east. They're like kind of like Assyrians, Bab- Babylonians. These guys are like descendants of Ham, so they're not really connected to the Israelites at all. And the Amorites had taken land from the Moabites. And, and from taken... the Ammonites, yeah. who are the other descendants of Lot. Right. So remember, everybody's kind of related. Except um, for these Amorites. Yeah. The people that... Um, that the people of God are running into are, you know, either Lot's kids or Abraham's kids, Abraham's kids from Ketera, another mm-hmm. wife. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Israelites are kind of hoping on family relationships yeah. going, Hey, help and us they're out. Respecting these ties. But, and even with Edomite, Edomites, with mm-hmm. Esau's descendants, but what they're finding is everyone's too intimidated and fearful that they're going to lose their power. So they come out for war. Yeah. So the Amorites, they do the same thing. They ask, can we just pass through your land? We're not going to bother you. And this time, the Amorites, the Amorite king is like, oh, no, you are not doing this. And in fact, I'm going to war against you. Yeah. And, and God does it. God shows up and fights for his people. Mm-hmm. And they take all the land of the Amorites, which is a solid amount of land. And according to the scriptures, is they kind of had a really powerful centralized government. There were more... Their borders were more firm and firmly established, and their government was more firmly established than any of these other nations they were running into. Yeah. And so these guys were a big threat. But God just kind of is like, 
Yeah, I got you. You can take them. You're just going to take all their land. I know, but think about your life and God's promising this land, but you still have to do some of the gross work, mm-hmm. right? So you have to actually go and fight and kill. And that's not, I don't think that would be fun. No. Oh, no. And, um, and it's scary. But so much of what God is calling us to do, we have his promise, his the promise of being there with us, of fighting for us, of giving yeah. us the confidence, but we still got to do some of the dirty work. And they do it, and they uh, and they laid waste to these people, and then they got to live in the capital. So it's mm-hmm. King Sihon of the Amorites. They live in that city, and now other people are taking note of them. And, so and another then another king, Amorite king, King Og, who mm-hmm. later we find out is was like kind of a giant, and they destroy him and his people just as well. And so they're already surpassing their parents, who mm-hmm. were scared of these people. Yeah. Uh, 38 years earlier. And they're basically taking the land, slowly taking the land that is west, or east, sorry, east of the Jordan River, yeah. uh, east of the Promised Land. And that, and that's what um, I'm putting it together this time reading through. God's trying to get them to the west because the Promised Land, where we know Jerusalem ends up mm-hmm. being, is surrounded by water. Yeah. It's surrounded by the Mediterranean Sea. And then you got the Jordan River, mm-hmm. and so God's setting them up with some natural boundaries. Mm-hmm. And of course, the boundaries are always water. Water is life mm-hmm. historically. It's trade. It's growth of crops. It's everything. But it's also protection because a huge army would be slowed down having to cross any significant bodies of water. Correct. And giving you time. So there they are. They possessed this land, and uh, they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling pretty good. And so of course, the surrounding nations. Are feeling pretty scared. When you're feeling pretty good and the Lord's working, somebody is feeling intimidated yeah. around you. Somebody wishes that you wouldn't have success because it might mean their failure, whether that's true or not. So we get to the story of King Balak, mm. and mm. it gets slightly hazy because he's called the king of Moab, but his elders are Midianites. And so the uh, the idea that we kind of get from history is that the Midianites, who were descendants of Abraham and Keturah mm-hmm. uh, took over some of Moabite lands, and so they just the king was given the title king of Moab, but he was a Midianite, and he ends up he's freaking out because they just destroyed the Amorites, which are their biggest rivals at this point, and stronger than them, and so he summons a soothsayer named Balaam to put a curse on the Israelites. I had a thought too before we get into so Balak wants to put a curse on the Israelites mm-hmm. because when you have to steal or you only have yourself to count on in life and you get stuff, you also have to maintain that. Mm-hmm. And you maintain it often the same way you acquired it, mm-hmm. which is like you're, there's intimidation, there's power. And so whereas what's, what is remarkable about our God is that he gives us, so much, he gives us good things mm-hmm. so that the way we even get to manage it is from a position of receiving a gift as opposed to I have to stay uh, the king of the hill. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing Balak act totally different. The people of God are acting like God's given us, he's rescued us, let us just pass through. And they're running into people who have, have their God has not necessarily given them anything. They've had to fight for it. Yeah. And so he's using, he's confusing, he understands their spiritual nature to these people. Yeah. So he calls out his spiritual gun, mm-hmm. which is a prophet, Balaam, who, again, is kind of confusing where he comes from. But the story lets us know 
Balaam talks to the God of the universe. Yeah, so it's kind of a confusing character. Balaam is a very nebulous character because when I first read through this story, I, I kind of was like, wait, he doesn't seem to be doing anything wrong. Yeah. But the thing he's doing wrong is he's still going about basically being hired to give curses and blessings for money. Like he's, he's offering these services for money and... The way you would manipulate a god is you would do that god's sacrifices and you would just keep trying and keep trying different things in different areas and different ways just to get him to change his mind. And that's the problem that's happening well, here. Well, the idea too is Balaam had figured out, like maybe he'd played around with a lot of gods and he would found the god who has real power. Right. And so he was familiar and God speaks to him when Balak sends all his men and says, hey, come give us a curse. Mm-hmm. And I think... He's referred to later in the Bible as like a soothsayer, mm-hmm. not necessarily a real prophet. The like no. prophets were sent for the good of the people of God. Mm-hmm. Balaam's not sent. He's sent by the bad yeah. to put a curse on them, yeah. but God intervenes. And it also shows me God's working like the tap, the backside of the tapestry that's all yes. messy. He's working in every possible way for his people. So even this guy, he meets with him and he says, "Yeah, you can't put a curse on these people. And the interesting thing is, I think most people, when reading this story, you, you want to go like, oh, curses and all that stuff. That's not real. Yeah. But the fact that God meets with Balaam, to me, states that this is a serious thing. Yeah. And he takes curses and blessings seriously. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. he's not going to allow that to happen to his kids. Well, and these are the, his kids are the people rooted in God's word. Yeah. And words are more powerful than the sword. And so the words of a prophet um, cursing somebody can have power. Yeah. And so God takes it seriously and doesn't just say, oh, well, his curses are meaningless. I'm going to... He's like, no, no, no. We, um, these are not the people who you curse. So Balaam, when asked, he does like what we would feel like is the right thing. It's ask God to he's see honest. If, if, he, if he can do it. Yeah. And the problem, though, is that he keeps asking and hopes for a different response. Right. And so God does kind of be like, if they're asking you to go, just go. Well, he says that after, what's the third time? Or second, second time? time? So he's being offered all these riches and all this kind of access to power. Mm-hmm. And he keeps asking God. He has a very clear answer from God. Don't mm-hmm. do it. Don't go. He says no the first time. The second time, he asks God again. It's kind of like when you tell your kids or you tell mm-hmm. somebody, no, I'm, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And they keep asking. It's disrespectful. It's yes. like, I said no. Yes. And God does say, fine, go. Yeah. But this is why Balaam is not a hero Mm-mm. or he's not listed in the Hall of Faith or anything like that because Balaam is essentially begging God like, so you know what, God? I just really want some of that money mm-hmm. and this is how I make a living and, mm-hmm. and I'm a soothsayer and I, let, let me just go. Yeah. And God says, fine, go. Yeah. And but don't s- curse him. And then because... We get what seems like God saying, ordaining him to go off and do this. But then in the next section, it's God's anger burned against Balaam. Yeah. Because he knew Balaam's going because he wants to actually earn some of his money. And I think we see not only God's anger, but in God's anger. There's some mercy. He's being, well, he's merciful, he's merciful, but he's, he's kind of being mocked. Oh. God is being mocked a little bit by Balaam, like. Do you not respect my word enough? Mm-hmm. Like, I told you this, and you went to your mom mm-hmm. and tried to confuse her. You right. know what? No, you need to, when I say no, you can't go to your friend's house, means no. Mm-hmm. And so 
In a rare instance in the Bible, you see God's creative power allowing an animal to speak. Yeah, so we have God is angry. He sends an angel to block with a sword, kind of like almost like what this reminds me of how God protected the garden after they, he right. kicked the people out. Uh, with this the there's angel a, with, a, the flaming with sword. a flaming sword. Yeah. And now you have an angel with the flaming sword protecting God's people from a curse. And, and the only one who can see it is a stubborn beast of burden. It's a donkey. It's a donkey. It's Balak's, or Balaam's donkey. Yeah. And, and so Balaam's donkey sees it and like starts going the other way. And Balaam keeps like beating his donkey to try to get it to go where he wants. And the angel keeps moving kind of graciously. And the, bo- the donkey keeps trying to save him until finally he gets to a point where the donkey says he lies down on Balaam. Right. To just halt him from going any further. And Balaam threatens to kill the donkey with well, his sword. He's so angry, the donkey finally speaks. And the donkey says, why are you beating me? Right. I've been and, faithful to you. And and Balaam begins to have a conversation with his donkey out of his anger. He's not even like taken aback. He's like, you're making me look like a fool. Because he has these princes. He has like an entourage with oh, him. Oh, you're right. He's not and alone. He's not alone. And so he's like, you're making me look like a fool. If I had a sword, I'd kill you. And I can't even control my donkey. And then the donkey starts to reason. Like he has reason. And he's reasoning with Balaam and making Balaam look even more foolish and saying, am I not the same donkey who's who ridden your entire life, who's only been faithful and working for you? And Balaam's like, yes. It's like, the reason I've stopped is because there's an angel with a sword ready to kill you. And then Balaam is all of a sudden, his eyes are open, and he can see the angel. And he realizes the donkey was actually trying to save his well, life. The donkey was seeing, his eyes were open, yeah. or her eyes, it was a female donkey. Yeah. Her eyes were opened, and she spoke the truth of God. Yeah. It also is strangely uh, reminiscent of the people of God who are like... A stubborn mule. A stubborn mule. And, and the people of God can't even see these things and can't even speak these things all the time. It's, it, that's just my own imagination. And I also remember in, in ninth grade, I took Spanish. Mm-hmm. I had Miss Scribinich was mm-hmm. her name. And she used to always say to me, El burro sabe más que tú. And it's the only Spanish I really remember, mm-hmm. and it means a donkey is smarter than you. Because back in the <laughs> 80s, teachers could be mean, and strangely, you would learn through that. And um, and so, like, donkeys aren't, no, like, when you're, I'm being called a donkey in 1988, and so I think it is, the irony and the humor should not be lost here. Yes. And uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And then the thought that, how could a, an animal talk? Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about the creator God. Right. And he can do whatever he wants. And so the angel then dialogues with Balaam. And the first thing he says to him, which is great, is, why are you beating your donkey? <laughs> which I love. Like, it's, again, showing God's care for his creation. And even asking a question like that, like, why are you abusing your animal? Like, your animal's only trying to help you here. Like, the creation's only trying to help you out. And I'm just thinking, too, God spoke through a burning bush. Yeah. So maybe it's God speaking, you know, it's just God speaking through the donkey. Yeah. Sometimes I get hung up on, can animals talk? And it's God can talk through a burning bush. He can talk through a donkey. Yeah. Well, And, and so he says, uh, I've come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. And basically showing, like, I know your heart, Balaam. I know why you're trying to do this. I know you're trying to manipulate me. But you're, you, you're going to go with these guys, but you're only going to say the words that I tell you. Right. 
and and then his eyes were open. He's like, "Oh man, yeah. I'm the one who's about to be killed by a sword, not the not the donkey." Yes. And so by the time he gets to Balaam, Balak, or Balak, I know Balak is like, "Why have you taken so long? What's the deal?" Yeah. And Balaam's going, "Well, I don't have good news for you." Yeah. And then you see the manipulation of Balak because he keeps taking him. So the story plays out, and we'll get to the the blessings and curses there. But ba- up to the point we're reading today, Balak has, takes him to two different high places, right? Yeah, yes. And it sounds like he wants, he thinks that if I can get this guy, this prophet guy, to look at these people and see how massive they are and what a threat they are and how they're they're like, a, he compares them to an ox or a cow that's just going to eat all the grass and mm-hmm. eat everything in sight with no effort. Yeah. He thinks then if he sees that, then he can also see them and put a curse on them. So mm-hmm. there is something about looking at the people and cursing them. Oh, yeah. And it's surrounded and embedded in uh, sacrificial terms. So like we're doing something, like we're going to read some spells, we're going to offer some animals, we're going to do this curse thing for real. And yeah. Balak is not averse to that. He's and, and, and the places he's putting him in are religious places like that Balak would worship right. his God. And so he's setting him up in religious places, like on mountains. And and then the the interesting thing is Balaam actually sets up uh, a weird pseudo version of like the kind of sacrifices that are offered at the tabernacle at this point, mm-hmm. which is he offers up seven altars and offers an ox and a ram, which an ox was offered for or like a bull was offered for the burnt offerings which was kind of for the to get the lord's acceptance yeah and then a ram was like uh uh the unintentional sin offering yeah and so he's like trying to manipulate like i think these are offerings that god likes and i'm going to give them and he'll meet with me and i'll talk to him and i'll see if he can if he's willing to change his mind yeah and and you know i just connected to the second commandment is do not use the Lord's name in vain. Yes. And I think... This is what he's doing. That's what Balaam is doing, trying mm-hmm. to use the Lord's name in vain. So we, we use the Lord's name in vain when we try to use access to him and his name to get what we want. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. This is Yeah, that's a good point. And also thinking about how they interact with their gods. Yeah. If their god tells them something... Yeah, that's all you do is use their name in vain. If, that, if they tell you something you don't like, you just keep working the system until you get them to change their minds. Right. And so you kind of see this play out within what God then says to Balaam. And the first time, it's these people are blessed. Yeah. They are uncursable, basically. Like, you cannot curse them. I've set them apart. Because God is with them. I am with them. And you cannot curse these people. And then the second one is, and God has promised them since the time of Abraham. God's with them. He's promised them. He keeps his word to them. He's going to bless them. And then it's so bad, Balak is like, stop blessing them. Yeah. You keep saying blessings. Just don't, at one point he says, just don't even, don't say anything for a second. Don't stop talking. You're not (laughs) cursing, but you're blessing. You keep saying good things about them. Again, testifying to the power of our words. And then I'm even thinking when we speak truth over each other, mm-hmm. like you're a faithful, mm-hmm. loving guy. You're a, a, a faithful follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. You are full of love. And stop saying that. Don't say that because that's going to give momentum just as much as negative stuff gives momentum. Yeah. And so what's interesting is in the second one, it, God is 
addressing, like, I cannot change my mind. This is how you interact with your, your gods, and they might change their minds. I do not. I am for my people, and you cannot turn me against my people. So stop. All right. What and are that, you doing? And that's where we end. He says, don't curse them at all, and do not bless them at all. So, and then the one other thing that I want to talk about is the location. So the first location was on a hill that he was able to see a fraction of the people. Yeah. And Balak is thinking, oh, man, he's overwhelmed by the <laughs> might of these people. So let's, let's move him to another area so he can't, he can only see, a, he only sees a smaller fraction of them. And maybe then he'll curse, just maybe, a, even just a small fraction right. of them would be great. Which is funny because people outside of God's grace mm-hmm. can't believe that you are going to believe God's word. Mm-hmm. You, like, I can't believe that you're willing to like die for the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Right. Like, you can't honestly believe that so let me try to convince you to leave what god has told you um yeah because people don't understand that the faith that we carry is a gift from god right even even in um even in someone like balaam who's trying to use god's name in vain yeah but the good news for us is as the people of god jesus is protecting us from curses yeah and he is blessing us yes So receive the blessings of Christ today. You are blessed. And if you are even in the camp of God, if you're baptized and you love God, but you're failing in all these different ways, Jesus is praying and speaking blessing over you. And we want to be a part of that. Correct. Boom. All right. That's numbers. Moving on to the New Testament. Man, going to, to the book of Luke. What chapters are we in today, Matt? We are in chapters 6, verse 12, through chapter 7, verse 10. So, Luke chapter 6. In Luke's narrative, we now get the calling or the choosing of the 12. And I only have one thing to say about this. Yeah, go for it. Uh... Jesus sees prayer as important, mm-hmm. powerful, and the thing to do. And necessary. He prays all night. He goes up on a mountain, and Jesus, it says, prays through the night for his, the choosing of his disciples. Yeah, he thoughtfully, prayerfully decides right. with God, the Father, who are going to be my 12. Yeah, so at a minimum, when we have big decisions to make, um, the example mm-hmm. is pray all night. Ask mm-hmm. for God's blessing. Ask for, and this is the Son of God, yeah, exampling for us. But also not just doing it as an example, but, but really it's doing who, it. It's who He is, and yeah. He's saying, "I pray," mm-hmm. um, and I'm great. asking God to bless it. So I thought that was uh, really amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, how important is prayer? You know. Yeah. And then we have. Jesus continuing his ministry of preaching the word and healing the people. Yes, and, yeah. and now it's like in great multitudes. Well, he's, he's uh, healing everybody. He's Anybody who comes to him, they're coming to hear him and to be healed by him. And this is the setup now. So Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, it sounds like it takes place. Uh, like It's uh, another 
version of the Sermon on the Mount because yeah. he's in a flat field or yeah, something now. Yeah, this one's called the Sermon on the Plain. Right. So, but but the idea we get from Luke is Jesus explained and preached the basics of the kingdom of God more than once. Even. Yeah, yeah. Like we kind of see his words like when we take like one gospel at a time Mm -hmm. we feel like he only maybe said this once and they just recorded it once but throughout his ministry he seemed to be saying the same thing over and over again because he's moving to new people each Mm -hmm. time and he's going to say like i've said this before i'm going to say it again and how many times do we need to hear the same thing over and over again until it finally sinks in well and even this time rereading basic essentially the sermon on the mount this is the sermon on the plain he starts with the Beatitudes, like you are blessed, you are um, saved and blessed and brought into a promised rest, mm-hmm. and here's what it's going to look like. Right. You love the poor, and Luke takes away um, some of the spiritual, yeah. he goes almost Purely entirely physical. physical, practical. Like blessed when you are poor, yours is the kingdom of God, that's similar to Matthew's, mm-hmm. but then... Um, if you're hungry, you're satisfied. You'll be satisfied. You weep, you laugh. Uh, when people hate you and revile you and spurn you, you're going to be able to rejoice and leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. So though you're experiencing something now, uh, Christ has made a way and is telling you directly, things are going to get better. Stay right. with me. Stay with me. That's the promise. And then he has uh, four woes. Yes. But woe to you who are rich now, you've received a lot. You you feel blessed. Like This is the problem with being rich mm-hmm. in this world is that you start to feel comfortable, mm-hmm. under control, and blessed. And you don't need God. Right. And when you feel that, you don't need God. Woe to you who laugh now, and you shall mourn and weep. So again, the life that is, not that laughing's wrong, mm-hmm. but that everything is great, and you don't even want, you can't even imagine heaven or being with God as being better than how you have it now. Correct. And then woe to you when um, people only speak good of you. So if you only have people who love you, well, they did that for the uh, false prophets. So the reality of this kingdom is you're going to be saying things that confront the comfort and the joy of people in this world. You're going to be confronting Balak's. Yes. um, And who want to maintain the things that they've created for themselves. In the way that they've created it, too. And so then follow that up with, but don't get upset and don't be, um, don't be operating like they operate. Yeah. Instead, yes. he goes totally polar opposite, which is love your enemies. And mm-hmm. Luke really gets into it. I mean, this is a big challenge. If you have a heartbeat at all and any faith at all, it always <laughs> challenges you. It yes. always uh, exposes our sin because it's you pray for those who hate you. Mm-hmm. You bless those who curse you. Mm-hmm. You know how hard that is? That is hard. Pray for those who abuse you. Mm-hmm. There it is. Like you've been abused. You, the promise of our kingdom is, and really what it's going to look like, here's how we act in this kingdom. We actually pray for those who have abused us, whether they're sorry or not. Right. And then the old uh, turn the other cheek is in there. Yep. Give to everyone who begs from you. Mm-hmm. That's always a challenge, especially in our culture. But we get, you know... Uh, we're always being asked by panhandlers or people, yeah. we're supposed to give to them? Well, you're supposed to, yes. <laughs> At least wrestle with it because yeah, you're becoming the kind of person who will give to everyone who asks um, and don't ask for anything back when you've given. I mean, he gets very ex- explicit here. Love those because if you just love those who love you, what benefit is that for you? Mm-hmm. Even sinners do that. 
and and then he goes into judge not or and you won't mm-hmm. you won't be judged and again i i feel like the idea though is he's setting up like this is how god has treated you like god was merciful right you were his enemy yes. but god prays for you god longs for reconciliation uh jesus came to judge the world and guess what his death and resurrection declares us not guilty He's judging, and he's judging that you're not guilty anymore. Well, again, it's the perspective. When I read this and I, I start to feel overwhelmed, like, oh, i got to be better, the offer is, well, you're still under, yeah, if you're under the law, you're going to have to do all these things better. Yeah. You have failed. And so until you read this and have a sense of repentance, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be hard to get. Because at the end of it, right before he goes into judging, it's uh, verse 35, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. See, we're starting to act like our Father, mm-hmm. and here's how our Father is. He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And like you just said, when you read it from the perspective of, I need the mercy of Christ, right? because I haven't been giving away. I haven't been loving. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to avoid or get back at those who have abused me. We need the mercy of God. And mm-hmm. so we receive, we read this and we go, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. I was your enemy mm-hmm. and I still fail, but you are merciful. Yes. And so now we're becoming, the, this is the kind of people we're going to be becoming mm-hmm. because our Father is like this. And then you get to the don't judge um, because you're not being judged. Yeah. So why would you judge? They're not Christians. They're not this. Just settle down. Yeah. <laughs> because... You're living under the grace and mercy of God. So now you're free to offer, be super generous to the to point of... grace, to have grace and mercy for those and the, who the, hurt you. And the reason you're super generous and have grace and mercy is because everything that you're giving up will be... What, what's the phrase? Pressed down, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Yeah. So don't worry. Try to outgive God. Whatever you give away or suffer in this world will be given back, mm-hmm. beginning now with the spiritual things, peace, love, and joy. But we can be certain that it's all going to be given back um, a hundredfold in the life to come. And then he has the classic uh, parable, which is he's using hyperbole, hyperbole mm-hmm. to, and it's kind of like a humorous form of speech. Like he's. Yes. He's. Our Savior was being humorous in this statement. He's about a wordsmith. The, about the speck in the log. Right. And about how um, the blind can't lead the blind. A disciple is not above his teacher. And why do you see a speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you do not see the log that's in your own eye? And the thing I'm hearing this time, reading it, is... We are disciples of Christ. He is our master. He has not judged us, and he's not judging others. He's declaring them innocent before the Lord. And so we, like our master, we have to be merciful to those as well. We are not greater than him. He's actually like someone stealing, and he's inviting them to take freely. Yeah. And uh, I think, too, uh, I remember in my studies of Greek, the... The language that he's using in the original language, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it has it sounds like puns. Like yes. some of these things are 
they sound very similar. Yes. You know, and, and they're kind of funny. He's being funny. He's being very funny. And then it transitions to, okay, that's the, the reality of like what to do. Mm-hmm. And that should crush you so mm-hmm. that you can receive from God because that's the only way you're going to be able to live up to this is by his power and, and basking in his grace. But then you become a tree that mm-hmm. bears good fruit. And like uh, a thistle can't produce figs. Right. It just doesn't happen. And so he's saying, look, you guys are going to be fig trees. You guys are going to produce fruit because that is appropriate to your root system. Because you are funded and being fed by my love, right. my mercy, my grace for you. And out of that will come love. And that he's plainly grace says it. Mercy. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So you're, yeah. our, you and me, yes. our little storehouses are being filled with treasures from Christ. Yes. So give it away. Yes. That's all you can produce now. Right. But is it going to feel good in this world all the time? No. No. It's going to feel totally counterintuitive. Um, but that's why Jesus is here to announce it. Because mm-hmm. yeah, otherwise it's not going to make Because he sense. gave everything up. Yeah. Then, to sum up this section, he, uh, and really to sum up his sermon on the plane, is mm-hmm. to go, look, some of you well-meaning little uh, straight-A students are trying to figure all this out but let me make it as basic as possible. My word is a good foundation. You haven't worked out how to be perfect in every way yet, but build your life on my word. And when the storms come and when people don't like you and when you're abused and when things are stolen and you suffer all sorts of things in this world, just just know you're building on a solid foundation, Mm -hmm. my word. Mm -hmm. And And the one who hears... And does this, and, and can just believe it, will be uh, will will withstand the storms, and house will not fall. Yeah, that is. I need to hear that because right. I feel like sometimes we are fools uh, for Christ. We are fools for believing that prayer changes things, or believing that we're going to be the people who tithe mm-hmm. out of our income. We give ten percent, and then we give above offerings, and then we help people who have yeah. wasted, and then we forgive the people who have hurt. Like. When do we get a break, Lord? And the Lord's saying, build it on my... My word is, I'm going to give it all back. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. Life is better. I have better. enough for you and I, everyone else. There it is. I like that punchline. Jesus says to you today, wherever you're at, I have enough for you. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. Give it away, and I'll have more. In fact, you'll get more. The, more, the game should be, give it more away, and you'll get more. <laughs> if we could see the kingdom of God and his treasures the way we see it in the world, like if I knew... If I made a simple investment in a stock and it was 100% doubling every year, I would do it. Yeah. Well, Jesus says it actually works like that in the kingdom of heaven. And then wow. we have one more little story just to cap off our time here. Oh, I don't think I... Well, seven. I forgot seven, about that. Chapter 7, verse oh, 1 I through 10. I to verse 49 today. I know. It's all right. Okay. You're forgiven. Thank you. It's a real quick... Uh, it's a story we've heard before, but a centurion, a, a, a Roman soldier, a Roman authority, sends out the Jewish leadership of elders to kind of be a spokesman to Jesus to say, hey, he, he honors our God. He actually built our synagogue. He's faithful. He's, we like this guy. Oh, I know why this, I, I'm we reading this. We vouch for him. Yeah. And his servant, a really important servant in his house is sick, and he wants you to heal him. He wants you to come to heal him. And we believe that you could even come into his house because he's a God-fearer. 
and uh, which is a big issue in, in this time because they wouldn't associate closely with Gentiles because they were Gentiles were ceremonially unclean and they didn't want to become unclean and not be able to enter into the temple. But they're saying, Jesus, this guy's actually good. Like, you could come to his house. Yeah. And on the way to the house, uh, more servants come and say, actually, he's saying, don't come to his house. He's not worthy for you to come to his house. But he believes that you have the authority to just say that his servant could be healed, and he'll be healed. Right. First of all, good job on saying ceremonially. Thank you. Day 85 and 86. I know. I'm we're, really, getting, we're getting better at it. I'm really working on it. But he actually says, I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And mm-hmm. I say to one, go. And he goes. Another, come. So he's like, I... It ties into what we just read about the word. Yeah. So this first story... I understand. Story, Words have power. Luke just puts it right after the Sermon on the Plain. Yeah. It says, build your house on the word of God. And here's a perfect example of a guy who's outside of the people of God saying, I understand authority and how it works. You say, say the word and right. I'll mobilize the troops. Yeah. You don't need to come and do all the work. And Jesus marvels and says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. I know. Like the faith to go, Jesus, you just say the word. You don't even need to come and do anything. You don't even need to see the person. No. Unlike Balaam. I know. Isn't that cool? Who had to see the people to curse them. Right. You don't even have to see my servant. You can just say the word and he'll be healed. I believe that. Say the word. And so for us to know that Jesus is before the throne of God right now saying the word, only he's saying your name. Yeah. He's saying the word on behalf of Matt and Adam and And Keith and Alec. And, and Christina, Kaylee. And Kaylee. And Christina. And you just go on and on. And like Whoever and Lauren, else is listening to this podcast. And Lauren. Yeah. Like, Jesus is saying your name. You are forgiven. And whether he sees you or not. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect story to end. And the guy's healed, of course. Yeah. Or he, the servant is healed. Yeah. Ah, they so found good. the servant well. They went back. They're like, it worked. Him just saying the word. And remember, Jesus is the word made flesh and dwelt among us he's tabernacling among us thank you God for your word and thanks for saying our names well let's wrap up today with a nice reading from the book of Psalms chapter 37 verse 21 through 40 yeah I are you gonna read the whole thing I want to but can people listen to the whole thing alright I got it I know what I'm gonna read go for it The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when those when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he has no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for a man of peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed altogether. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him.
You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. It's been a fun day. We'll talk to you next time.